grooving to my tune here. You ready? When I finally get to go on a real stage and do a live presentation again, this has to be playing in the background. <laughs> I miss this song so much. Anyway, hi, I'm GradCon, and welcome to the Copernican Shift. All right, so uh, today I'm going to talk about brand authenticity. And um, I saw this great article. It was actually sent to me um, by someone I work with, and it's from Gartner. And it's an article by Julie Reeves. Uh, it was from November 22nd, 2021. And it's called The Ted Lasso Guide to Brand Authenticity. So uh, let me talk a little bit about Ted Lasso, just in case you don't know. And it's a possibility you don't. So Ted Lasso is a TV show. It's on Apple+. Plus. Um, you're definitely not going to know that I dressed up as Ted Lasso for Halloween 2021. Big hit. People loved it. In fact, I was at a party the other day and uh, a gorgeous redhead came up to me. And not the gorgeous redhead I'm marrying, but then another gorgeous redhead came up to me and said that I had the best costume at the Halloween party and I nailed Ted Lasso and I looked just like him. In fact, there were, I did get some comments. My, my, um, you know, um, fiance, gorgeous redhead, did get some comments from people saying, how did you get the actual Ted Lasso to come to your event? So it did look pretty good. So Ted Lasso, TV show. So in this show, um, it's essentially, it's a fantastic fish out of water story. So if you're, I don't know if you're familiar with that technique, but uh, you know, an American Yankee in King Arthur's Court um, by uh, um, um, Mark Twain would be a good example of that. It's a classic storytelling technique where you take uh, one character, put it into an unfamiliar environment, and let hilarity ensue, often used in comedy situations. So in the Ted Lasso case, there's a soccer team in the UK, and the uh, owner wants the team to do very poorly. So she goes to America, finds a college soccer, a college football, like American football coach, and then she brings that American football coach to the UK, or to England, to coach this uh, team. And... Uh, obviously, to coach it into oblivion. Um, that doesn't happen. Ted Lasso surprises. He has a lot of tricks up his sleeve. Just goes to show that greatness can be called upon. And there's some amazing stories. But, you know, if you, if you know the show, um, you know, Ted's the head coach and the Diamond Dogs leader. Uh, Rebecca and Keeley are uh, mentor and mentee friends. And Roy and Keeley are romantic partners. And uh, the show is um, extremely popular on Apple Plus and has made a significant cultural impact. And, it, and people are trying to figure out what's going on. Like, why is this show working so well? And the theory is that it's because all the connections that these characters have with each other are truly authentic. Uh, and I would say that the Roy and Keeley romance it's extremely authentic and maybe uncomfortably authentic, uh, especially the way they ended the season. This sense of authenticity is something that people are constantly seeking. I want to talk about this in a couple of different contexts, but there's a general sense that consumers are craving genuine relationships, and um, Gartner actually calls it seeking sincerity, and they actually call it a top consumer and cultural trend for 2022, which is pretty amazing. And I, I think 
there's a so the feeling here is that the world's becoming more complex, more connected, and more challenging and faster. The more humans that are connected, the more rapidly we innovate, the more quickly we come up with new ideas. And so people are almost retreating to sort of straightforward and authentic interactions uh, with each other and with brands. I think there's a lot of this going on. I think it may be driven in part also by the rise of social media, where the people that you're reading and the posts that you're reading are very authentic. They're from your friends. Uh, the pictures that you see are very authentic. They're pictures on their phone, you know, of their families or of a situation or of a sunset or whatever. And increasingly, uh, what I'm seeing is a gap between the media that people consume and the content that's being produced by companies. And we have to be very careful about this as organizations because if we keep cranking out, you know, like super slick and, and super voice-y type of stuff, it'll seem increasingly distant and disconnected from the highly authentic, slightly misspelled, sort of quirky stuff that everyone's consuming every day with the UGC casual photos all done on an iPhone. And I've been on this bandwagon for a long time, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, Alison Tintel, are you listening? And, and I actually think, I think I was right about this a long time ago. I think I'm really right about it now, which is the human brain is an averaging machine. There's a really great study, which was, uh, what is beauty? How do we determine beauty? Good question, right? Like, what is, like, that person's beautiful, that person's maybe quirky, that person's maybe, like, ooh, not beautiful. Well, how do we know that? And it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it does seem that we're generally in agreement across the seven billion humans on the planet what ugly, quirky, and beautiful look like. It's, it's not a hard one for us to figure out. How is that? How is that possible? And that standard has changed. So the cover model for Vogue magazine in 1955 is very different looking from the one in 2022. And the one from 1955, eh, not so much. What's going on? So they did a, a very interesting scientific study. They took a hypothesis, and the hypothesis is the human brain is an averaging machine, and we're driven to reproduce. That's kind of a core human drive. Hopefully that's not a giant newsflash for people out there. And um, as reproduction machines, it's essentially what we're doing, we are seeking to partner with people who will be good mates, and, and, and the way someone becomes a good mate is an absence of mutation. Yeah, let's think about that for a second. So you're essentially seeking uh, absence of mutation. That's what your brain's doing. And the way that your brain determines mutation is that it um, looks at all the faces that it's ever seen and creates an average face and that average face is the least mutated face because it's the average. And then essentially you look for people that are closest to that average face and that's the least mutated face. All right, stay with that for a second. You know, anyone who's ever had a baby will understand what I'm talking about. Like 
people will come. You, you've got your baby in your in your cart, your stroller. And people come to your baby and they're like looking at its hands and feet. It's the weirdest thing. Everyone's looking for five and five. Um, I remember when my first daughter was born, I said to myself, I'm not going to check the number of toes and fingers. I'm not going to check the number of toes and fingers. I'm not going to check the number of toes and fingers. doesn't matter. I'm not going to check the number of toes and fingers. She's born. Oh, my God. The first thing I did was check the number of toes and fingers. I couldn't help myself. I couldn't stop. So there's, there's, this is DNA-level stuff, right? So they, they, they took this as a hypothesis, kind of an interesting hypothesis. And what they did is they took about 1,000 faces, and they had um, people independently rate the beauty of the faces. Then they morphed those 1,000 faces into 500 faces. People uh, were asked to rate the beauty of those 500 faces, and they kept doing this. So what they found that each stage, as they morphed the faces, so essentially averaged the faces together, the beauty rating went up until they got to one face, which was a morphed from a thousand faces. And guess what? Highest beauty rating. Completely supported the hypothesis. Now, what's happening in society is that at one point in time, all the faces we'd ever seen were the faces in our village. So there would always be a most beautiful person in the village because there'd be an average or someone close to the average. Our village has gotten bigger, a lot bigger. So as our village has grown to encompass the entire planet and the faces we see are from more places and different cultures and different um, colors and looks and feels and all that kind of stuff, our average has changed. So if you look at a Vogue color cover model today, the skin is darker, more closer to an average. It's like a Sasha doll, if you ever know what those are. Um, all the features, like everything's now more averagely human. The Voyager, um, uh, the Voyager satellite that was sent out had an average human on the gold plate uh, meant for aliens to read and know where to find tasty vittles, uh, a little map of where Earth is. So when Voyager gets captured by aliens, uh, watch out. Uh, anyway, so coming back to this. So this is what's going on with the human brain. And so... Um, as we, as we think about this idea of, you know, what is uh, authentic, our definition of authentic has changed because we're consuming thousands and thousands of images from social media that are essentially UGC. So when I look at that corporate picture, it's increasingly looking fake. And I can tell because it doesn't look like the average. Human brain's an averaging machine. Okay. I hope that's reasonably clear. Um, I'm happy to dig into that a little bit more in the future, but let's just stay there for a second. What makes an authentic brand? So we're looking at this world where we're sort of surrounded by authenticity. How do we make sure that the brands that we're selling and the organizations and the shows feel authentic as well? So. When you watch Ted Lasso, what's interesting about that show and the reason it feels really authentic is it's, it's stumbly. It's awkward. Uh, it's shot very interestingly, very first person. Um, they're very deliberately, very modern in the way they approach that show. It feels real. And it's not, it's messy. And it's uncomfortable. It's, it's, it's all these wonderful things that make it feel real. So, 
uh, in the article that uh, Julie Reeves uh, published, and I'd encourage you to read it, um, she actually comes up with a, a set of things. Uh, she has like a, a one, two, three, four, five, six things that she says what make a brand authentic. So she, she lists them as clarity. She very cleverly, by the way, used a C for each one of these. So clarity, consistency, caring, curiosity, communication, and confirmation. And I'll just, just kind of briefly go through what she means by each one of these. So uh, in clarity, it's like, what is this brand and what isn't it you know, at its core? And what's, the, what's this kind of foundational strategy? And I would argue that you know, what's the emotional component of that and what's the functional component of that? It's very important to understand both of those. Um, you know, Ted Lasso is a coach who cares more about helping his team be the best versions of themselves on and off the field. That's his thing. Uh, regardless of the win-loss record. And it's got some consequences, um, you know, some good and some very, very significantly bad. Uh, but it is authentic, and he stays with that and doesn't change. Uh, and so you know, what choices and what clear choices is sort of your brand making? Uh, consistency is the second one, which is you know, how authentic are you and how consistent are you when you're talking to different audiences? So if you're talking to your friend, if you're talking to your lover, if you're talking to your child, if you're talking to your boss, like, are you the same person or are you different people? I had a very interesting evening on Sunday. I'm not going to get into all the details, but uh, there was a moment in a discussion I was having with uh, my uh, fiance where I was trying to tell her a story that, that it was, it was in, there was a point to it uh, and uh, never did actually get to finish telling her a story. Um, but there was a point to it. Apparently she'd heard it before, so she didn't want to hear it again. Um, but the interesting thing is that she didn't like that I was telling her this story because she felt that I'd made a tonal change. She felt like I was presenting to her, not talking to her. It was very interesting. And so she couldn't accept or even listen to the content or even understand kind of where I was going with it because she, feels, she felt that I had lost authenticity with her. It's a fascinating moment for me. Uh, and uh, yeah, I learned a lot from that. So, so there's this idea of are you the same person with everyone in your life? And, and you know, thinking about Ted Lasso, if you watch it, is he's the same person, whether he's talking to his players or the other coaches or whether he's talking to the press, he never changes. You always know what to expect from Ted Lasso. Knowing what to expect from a brand is really important. The third thing is caring. Uh, so, you know, he genuinely cares about his team members and they, they believe that he does. He remembers their birthdays in a really authentic way. Um, you know, are you trying to create a deep relationship with your consumers or do you just try to sell them something? This idea of caring and caring about them, you can't fake that. And that does drive the need for things like a really robust uh, customer data platform or CDP, uh, really robust interactions across social media. Like you've really got to connect with people in a really authentic way for them to really believe that. It's tough to do, but the rewards are significant because it makes your brand more genuine. The, the fourth thing is curiosity. You know, how do you develop an authentic relationship with your co consumers? Well, be curious about them, care about them. You want to know them. Um, there's you know, Ted Lasso quotes Walt Whitman and says, be curious, not judgmental. I think it's pretty cool. Why do people care about this product? What are people doing? Uh, what are you learning about them? And curiosity actually is, a, is generally a great skill to nurture in you from a career standpoint or any other part of your life.
Uh, the fifth thing is communication. So um, brands are getting better at two-way communication. We call it mass one-on-one here at Copernican Shift. And, and that's a, a really important part of making sure that customers care about your brand because you're responding to them. And so today, consumers will post things on multitude of different channels from TikTok to Twitter, and they expect to be responded to. And they want that response in five minutes. And if you don't respond to them, they will start to dismiss your brand or think that you don't care about them. Even worse, if you respond to them in a form letter way, and I've got some good examples of this, that's almost even more irritating because now we're really disrespecting them. But if you can respond to them one-to-one, and answer their questions and do it in an amusing way, it's amazing. Take a look at the real Mark Hamill. He does an incredible job of this and drives great fandom as a result. The final thing, the sixth one, is confirmation. And so uh, we actually, there's a lot of stuff around employee advocacy, uh, getting your own employees to tell the story of the brand. Um, if you are an authentic brand and people want to tell that story, they'll share it. You know, interesting little fun fact at Sprinkler. of the employees were sharing their stories, sometimes about two, two and a half times a week. That's a pretty incredible stat. You see that in different places at different kind of varying numbers. But if you've really created an authentic brand like Sprinkler did, uh, you've got something really worth talking about and your employees will want to talk about it. So, um, you know, Julie closes the article by saying, as Ted Lasso has shown us, being authentic isn't always easy. Uh, It is a commitment, uh, but it pays off in the long run. And uh, I'll just stress that, you know, there's a bravery here. There's a bravery here. There's a vulnerability here. Uh, But if you don't do it, um, I don't think you're going to be relevant. Not in the next decade. People are reconnecting in ways that they never could before. I would say that it's pretty interesting. Uh, It might be an awkward word. Interesting is an awkward word for this particular subject. It's a better word. Um, Encouraging, inspiring, inspiring. It's been inspiring to see how the Ukrainian defense has been using social media to win the media and propaganda war against the Russians. Pay very careful attention to what they're doing. The Russians are running their usual disinformation campaigns, which... I get a little tired and kind of like, oh, here we go, Russian disinformation again. The Ukrainians are doing stories, showing people, talking about, you know, brave standoffs, um, letting captured Russians call their families and connect with their families back home. Like, the Ukrainians are really leveraging social media to create a completely different reaction globally. And they are driving global opinion in a very positive way. And, you know, let's face it. I mean, they're a free democracy battling a brutal dictatorship. So, you know, it shouldn't be that hard. Um, But, you know, it's actually kind of amazing that, you know, we were not more on this. The Ukrainians have been threatened by the Russians for several years now. We let the Crimea just slip away. Uh, And they are doing a great job of showing the world what's going on. I don't know what's going to happen in the end. Um, It's tragic to watch and disheartening to see uh, traditional war return to Europe. Um, But in the end, I do believe that there will be a victory of sorts by the Ukrainians because of what they're doing to 
channel authenticity, to channel real humans. Uh, you, they're putting faces on this war. They're putting faces on this tragedy. And uh, that's very powerful. And that is the difference in the world we live in today. For the Copernican Shift, I'm Grad Khan. I'll talk to you next time.